0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Today I want to jump back and we are finishing off the the devoted series. And um, we've been looking at the series at this incredible scripture which is a description of the very first church in the book of Acts in chapter 2. It's this description of this church of power, of life, where there is the supernatural life happening. It's unexplainable. It's actually a miracle, and I'm going to explain to you why. And we're looking and we're saying, God, what does it mean? Well, because at the center of it, it starts with these words, they devoted themselves. There is a decision-making process in accessing the supernatural life of God in something called His community. It is not something we do. It's not something we just tick off. It's something that we become. It's something we invest ourselves into, and it's something that we devote ourselves to. I want to read it one more time for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts. glad and sincere hearts, prayed in God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily all those who were being saved. I pray, God, this morning as we come to your word again, as we come to your word every time, I pray our hearts will be open to you speaking to us. Thank you, God, that this is far more than a devote yourself to church series. This is about the family you want to reveal to this world. It's about you revealing yourself to the world around us. It's about your glory. It's about your praise. It's about more stories like Roscoe, and Blair, uh, Roscoe Blair Brown. What a rock star name. But more stories like that, God. I pray, God, have all your glory, all the praise, all the honor this morning. As we come to your word. Thank you, King. Amen. Amen. So, like I've said, this is more than love your church or get into community. It's far more than that. It's about accessing the supernatural potential of a community who goes after God together. And... um we say we've we looked at what it means to be devoted to grow, that actually make a devotion. Part of devoting yourself to community is not just saying, I'm going to come along for the ride. It's saying, I want to grow in God. I want to grow in who I am as a son and a daughter of the living King. Because when you grow, others around you grow. That's what happens in family challenges where it says we're going to do courageous conflict. I'm so amazed to hear some of the stories that have already come out of that preach as we navigated and we gave inspiration and courage to have courageous conversations that are difficult, that don't get easier, but God gets greater when we go into them full of His Spirit, full of courage, full of confidence with an outcome that is not one of, well, I'm going to get them to see my way, but an outcome say, actually, would Jesus be made king in this conversation? We said we're going to devote ourselves to do life, big life in small groups with big people. As we navigate life together, we can't just do it in massive crowds. Jesus had had his 12 disciples, but he also had the three. And then there were also the crowds all the time. And he kept on drawing away with the 12. And then he had moments where he'd draw away with the three. And we've got to look at his life and say there's a model for us. There's an understanding for us on this earth of how to do life in healthy ways to access everything that God has for us in these times. And then we said we want to be a people who care. But today I want to tackle something of a hot topic. I want to speak into, oh, I shouldn't do that. Something of, I believe something that is the miracle of this X2 church. I want to speak about devoted, devoted to diversity. Devoted to diversity. I, um, uh, I, it's a hot topic in South Africa for many amazing reasons, and I'm not speaking it at all politically. I'm speaking it in terms of this church, the early church, and the miracle of the early church. I was looking at this band this morning, saying, God, how can you bring... Such a beautiful sound and such a call to worship from such a diverse crew of people. We are led by our Ugandan warrior, Bunty, who normally has a bit more colorful clothing on. This morning you dressed very much like me, Jana. <laughs> normally he's got a bit more colorful. And then behind him is our, our, our Zambian drummer, Jerry full of courage and confidence, leading this community. And then we've got a headmaster of a few schools leading in this community, uh, a, a white male with family men, with kids, leading and partnering. And then we've got, uh, who was here? Louise, who you can never keep her down. It feels like an Irish dancer. It's like there's Her and Michael, they're on the other side of the stage doing Irish dance. Like, what's going on here? Anyway, that's fine. They're not at all Irish. That's the thing. And um, then we've got Michael again. Who, who was on voice? Michael, you're on bass? And then we've got V, a local Tableview girl full of life and, and serving in this community, a single lady. We've got married people. we got black. we got white. we got older. we got younger. We've got Angela, who's a mom, who, whose kids are becoming people who make teeth for people. I saw that on Facebook. That's so cool. And uh, But I look at this banner going, God, you're doing something. And when I look at the first church, this book of Acts Church, we're in a world, in our world, where diversity and difference actually leads to division. When I look at the Bible, diversity leads to strength. Diversity brings us together. Diversity forces us to navigate some difficult moments and come together. This early church and this first church is a miracle. Why? Because they didn't gather and do life together because they were all the same. It's a miracle because actually in this time they navigated and there were these races. There was the Jews and the Gentiles and they hated each other. For generations, for generations, when you when you spoke of the Jews to the Gentiles, the Gentiles are thinking of something that's oppressed, something that's always been under their rule and reign, something less than human. That's what a Gentile would think of a Jew. Of a Jew would speak of an uncircumcised Gentile. They would spit almost as they said because there was such anger and hatred for them. Because these were the ones who had oppressed us. These are the people who were against us. These are the people who didn't worship our king. These are the ones who worship foreign gods. They ate foods we would never touch. We are higher than them. We are chosen. There is this elitism and these two races. And then the early church comes in and they were called the third race. All of a sudden, there's a new race. It wasn't just a hybrid. I'm not taking my Judaism and my, I'm going to bring a bit of Gentile story into it. And we're going to form something called a hybrid. And I'm a little bit more Jew than you are, Gentile, but that's okay. No, they were described as the third race. And for the first time in history, there's a third race. For the first time in history, these two parties, the Jews and the Gentiles, they were totally, totally at war with each other. No other nations or races or tribes have ever been more at war than those two. They hated each other. And there's still a fight going on. And God says, I'm going to birth the church, a third race, a new story, a new family. They navigated all these challenges, and and if a a Jewish person prior to the third race of a Jewish person married a Gentile person, the Jewish family would have a funeral. And they would bury their child because they were dead. It was the level of hatred goes way beyond. So we read these scriptures and we go, wow, what a cool community. So tolerant. That wasn't the context. That wasn't what was going on yet, and we are minimizing the miracle of this community. When we understand that, that in this understanding of these things, that if to put these people into the same church, people would be held in slavery. Coming into a community with people ahead, hadn't. And all of a sudden, it says everyone around them was held in awe because of the miracles that are going on. I'm telling you, the greatest miracle is as Jew and Gentile laid aside these earthly cultures and earthly inheritances that are part of who we are, but took up a new mantle of sonship before the living God, and it changed everything. And all of a sudden, they're singing together, they're worshiping together, where before they would have shouted at each other. They wouldn't have hung out at all. They wouldn't have come together at all. Nothing would have been something that they could celebrate ever together. They're eating together. They're working together. They're greeting one another with a holy kiss. Some of you are like, I'm still not doing that. That's Okay. Tyler drank from my water this morning. And look, this is what the gospel does. I don't like people drinking from my water. But it's okay. They, they raise their children together. They take care of one another. They sell things to look after each other's needs. They are marrying across. They are, and, and, and they are bearing each other. It's a miracle when you understand the context. It's a miracle when you look at the history of war and oppression and slavery. It's a miracle because God's spirit invades and a miracle takes place. A new race is born. A race you identify not by their previous dispensation, but they identify as sons and daughters of the living God. It changes everything. The, the church of Jesus Christ becomes this classless society that is not looking at age or experience or background. They're not asking the question of where do you come from or what tribe are you from? They're asking is who do you love and who you love by? And when those things line up, it's Jesus. We are one family. We're a new story. We can navigate the most difficult, difficult situations. Colossians 3, verse 11. Here, the church, there is no Greek or Jew. Just stop there. You are taking the worst of enemies. And the apostle knew that. He says, you are taking the worst of enemies. And you're saying, you're not Greek or Jew here. circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all, and Christ is in all. And forever the story changes, forever the potential of the local church, the potential of the church global changes. Why? Because God's spirit is in it, and every dividing wall that has wanted to divide man can come down, and man keeps trying to build walls up like Babel, And in that context, God says, I'm going to give you different languages so you won't understand each other. So chaos comes, and then Jesus comes, and the Spirit of God comes. They start speaking different languages. Why? So they can get each other for the first time. Because language is not the divider. The Spirit is. The Spirit that we carry. The truth. The the who is Jesus. And for the first 200 years of the church... They didn't call each other by their surnames. They only called each other by their first names. Why? Because their surnames carried class. Their surnames determined how someone would see you. So they determined in their own hearts to only call each other by their first names. Because that way, that doesn't even play a part. Because when you were blacksmith, you are Tyler Blacksmith. You are the son of a blacksmith. But it puts you in a class, it puts you in a category, it it labels you. So they said, actually, we're just going to call you by your first name. Isn't that a radical, radical thing? It's a classless, raceless society where all social distinctions were erased. It's a new race. It's a miracle. So the apostles start writing letters, and Romans comes, and Ephesians comes, and Colossians comes, and all these books are letters written to the local churches in cities. Why? Because relational things are going on as the gospel takes a hold of their hearts. What we find is that the gospel takes a hold of our hearts. It starts to work itself out relationally, and things start to pop up, difficult things. And the apostle Paul has to say, heck on. When you take communion to the Corinthian church, wait for each other think, well, that's such a common... Obviously, it's communion. It's a holy moment. No, there was chaos. And there was jumping in and there was unruliness. There's actually, I want you to do something supernatural. I want you to do something powerful. I want you to do something that will release heaven on earth. Just wait for one another. It's a radical thing. And everything changes. Then he says, well, this church, like we spoke last week, is just a strange herd that are trying to navigate life together. And there's a whole bunch of new issues popping up. So the apostles begin to speak into this. This There's a remarkable thing taking place because people were no longer aligning themselves with nationalities or race or culture or subculture. They were aligning themselves with Jesus and his gospel. Why do we keep preaching about who Jesus is? Why do we keep presenting His truth? Why? Because we've got to keep reminding ourselves that we've been pulled out of our worldly story into something of heaven and God wants to keep rele- revealing heaven to earth. I want to see miracles. I don't want to just sing songs about miracles. I want to see miracles. And I'm telling you, part of it starts with just wait for each other. I can pray a thousand hours, but I can't pray for my, if I can't wait on my brother or sister, I'm telling you, there's a wall coming up. And God wants to deal with these things because the church is a miracle. It is still the mandate and the design of the church for diversity to be deep inside of our hearts. Not just an optional extra. God has designed it that a diverse group would come together. I'm overwhelmed even though I look over this room. Because until the age of 12, this wasn't a possibility for me. The first time I had a person of not white color in my class. Didn't understand it. Didn't really know what was going on. I'm so grateful for God's story. Some of my best friends God has put in my life. When my, God did something amazing in, in my story. My wife and I got together. We got married. We bought a property. But we, we did a building project. And it all went pear-shaped. It just went wrong. And we were out of a house for three months. Now, no one wants to sign you for a flat for three months. And you know it all. I got all my mates in a china as I grew up in school. And then I met this couple named Israel and Kudzai in Klingwana. We met at church, we had one bride, and they said, where are you staying? I said, I don't know. He said, come live with us for three months. He's like, are you sure? Come live with us. And that, that relationship has navigated all sorts of journeys. But those three months were like heaven on earth. As God revealed things to me that I never knew were in me, as God broke down things that I never knew were built up, God showed me stuff about his people, his children, that I had blinkers to not see. God wants to do that with us. Why? Because there's a miracle on the other side. On the other side. And Jesus puts this team together. He takes a tax collector who were basically traitors to the Jewish nation because they were working for the Romans. He puts that guy in the team with the zealots who's trying to take down the Romans. And this is what I'm going to put. I'm going to put a whole bunch of rough fishermen amongst you. And then some tradesmen, and I'm going to call it the dream team. The dream team who are going to change the world. Hmm, not so sure. What about some of those clever guys in those high buildings who spend their life reading the books and know what these fishermen can't read? No, I'm going to choose fishermen. I'm going to choose tradesmen. I'm going to choose a zealot. And I'm going to choose someone who's going to be his enemy. And I'm going to put them together. Why? Because I need them to look like a miracle. I think the first church were the disciples. They're gathering in this story. God says, I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to put them together. And I'm going to do a miracle. And God says, I'm going to deal with things like preference. And I'm going to deal with things like prejudice. And I'm going to show you and I'm going to expose them. And I'm going to use situation after situation to expose them within this group. Why? Because I need my church to shine for my glory. Yeah. Ephesians 2 speaks of the gospel, which is a like radical standard. You know, the challenge is, the gospel doesn't let us get off with this, well, I'm not as bad as that guy. No, that doesn't line up with the gospel. The gospel says, here's the standard, and if you're struggling to get the standard, throw yourself on your knees before Jesus and ask him for the grace to walk out his standard. But don't settle for a lower-than-standard because it's better than the world. I'm not angry. I'm very passionate. And um, Ephesians 2 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. God takes us, exiles. He takes us. We are the them. You know the them and the they in conversations? Them and they, that, that people throw around? We are the them and we are the they. We are the foreigners to God's household. And yet he opens up his heart and he opens up and he says, come inside. And in the midst of all this, I'm going to do a miracle. It's going to be called the church. And it won't make sense to anyone but me. It's, I'm the only one it has to make sense to. See, we, we, we have these statements like, don't judge a book by its cover. Why? Because everyone does. The world does. They are designed to make judgments on covers. And we make a whole bunch of generalizations and assumptions that are not helpful. And, and we hear them. In church conversations are all Catholics. Or all Holy Ghosters, you know, those guys, or Baptists, or what about this church, or those stories, or, no, guys, no. Or, or what about the guys from the Western Seaboard, or, you know, no, I'm not in the Northern seaboard I'm in the Western Seaboard, and you put like an English accent on, just to try to convince them that, it, that it's not what they think, because they've lived in Cape Town for 37 years and never been here, and... Um, but it's, it's, what school did you go to? I grew up in Durban. And the first question at Durban I ask you is, what school did you go to? Where, where do you live? What does your dad do? And those three questions, that they know you. They've got it worked out. You are that guy. And I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm just reminding us that that is not the gospel story. Paul writes to churches. He knew that we're in chaos. He writes to the Corinthians church that we're literally the naughtiest church in the world. They were doing everything wrong. What does he say to them? Grace and peace to you. I always thank God for you. Like what? He should bring out the big apostolic stick and give them smack on the bottom. But he doesn't because he sees the Jesus inside of them. See, the problem is when I say to someone, you meet them quickly say, I like you. What are you generally saying? We're saying, I like the me I see in you. Yes, you're a lot like me. So I really like you. And yet when we get the spirit of God inside and I meet a man from Uganda and I meet him and the, my spirit goes, yes. I go, I like you because I love you because he loved me and God's done something and I don't need your story to be my story. I need, just need to celebrate your story. Wow, and there's potential. Wow. Kingdom of God starts coming on the earth. We start transforming the world. We start having authority to speak into hierarchical structures of our world. We start having authority to speak into government. We start having authority to speak into injustice. Why? Because God did a miracle in his family. You know what prejudice means? The definition is an unfavorable opinion formed against a person or a group based on a stereotype. God wants to deal with our prejudices. Amazing thing, we've been prejudged. Why? Because when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. It's the only prejudice that has any authority in my life. It has to be the same for you. And um, Jesus comes, and I want to take us to a story that probably you're not going to expect in this context, but I was reading it this week and I was overwhelmed. It's the one where Jesus calms the storm, Mark chapter 4. And, and it starts out in chapter 4, verse 36 says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took with him just as he was. And the story unfolds. I don't want to read all of it. The big winds came up, chaos. Jesus goes for a sleep. And we preach it like he took them out on the boat to show them the miracle that he would save them. But I think it's a bigger story than that. Because what happens is they get on this boat and it says, Let us go to the other side. Some commentators say the other side is not just a plain statement of getting to the other side of the river. It is a technical term, basically meaning, let us go to the other side of the tracks. Because on the other side wasn't Judaism. On the other side wasn't Christianity. On the other side, there were none of those things. There were no believers where he was taking them. And Mark chapter 5 continues, and it's about Jesus restoring a demon-possessed man says, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes, of the Gerasenes. This is an ancient area, Middle East, Southeast, in the South Sea of, of the Sea of Galilee, which is not really a sea. It's more like a lake. And Jesus kind of crosses over the sea. says, let's go to the other side. Why? Because on the other side, there are Greeks. There are idol worshippers. They eat a whole bunch of stuff. We don't, And they don't like you, Jesus. Jesus says, let's go there. It says, when Jesus got out the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs, the tombs, where dead people are put, he was dead to them, his own people. And in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. Probably sounded more like, My name is Legion. I don't know. Hollywood would do that. He replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with them. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. It's quite a radical statement. If I said that to someone... In our context today, Facebook, go to your own people. Jesus says to him, because he's not breaking down the concept that they are tribes and tongues. He says, go to your own people. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the main Lani spot, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. It carries on, says, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Here's the story. Jesus comes, says, Boykies, come close. I'm going to take you on a journey of life. Part of this journey is going to look like this. We're going to leave a crowd, get in a little boat, go through a storm, and you're going to pop yourselves in the storm. And then I'm going to take you to the other side to the other side of the tracks where you don't want to go, where you're going to tell me they don't want me. And we're going to meet one man. He's the most undesirable man you could ever want to meet. Legion meant an army regiment of 6,000 troops. They were sent into 2,000 pigs. He says, the most undesirable man you ever want. He's been cutting himself. He's got blood all over. He is stinky and smelling. He's been living in the tombs, shouting and his own people don't want him. He's been sent to die to be on his own. He is an exile of exiles, exiled by our enemies. But we're going to cross over a difficult terrain at night to the other side of the tracks. Why? So that one man can get set free. Then you know what we're going to do, boys? We're going to get back in the boat and we're going to cross over to the other side again and go back to the crowds. And we're going to leave the crowds, go to the one undesirable who every prejudice inside of every heart rises up and goes, I'm not inviting that guy for dinner. And then we're going to get back in a boat so that I can show you my boys. The guys, the dream team, the ones who are going to take over the world and preach my gospel. I need to see that will you get in boats and cross over to the other side of the tracks so that one person can get saved, that I can get back in the boat and take you to the other side. Why? So that I can get all the glory. Why? And this, this demoniac, this undesirable says, Jesus, take me with you. If you leave me here, they're going to send me back to the tombs. They don't want me. There's no churches here. There are no believers here. No one knows your name here. Jesus says, but you are forever changed. You are healed and whole. Now go and tell them about the love of God. What happens later? Goes on his journeys. He comes back and they say, the crowds come running to him because they'd heard of his name. Who did they hear from? A demoniac. A broken, undesirable, prejudiced man. A different race. A different social class. A different bunch of demons. A whole bunch of stuff going on. cuts all over them. Jesus says, boys, we're going to leave the crowds. I don't know about you, but I like the crowds sometimes who are adoring my name. Jesus wasn't impressed by the crowds. He leaves the crowds to go to a demoniac man on the other side. And then he goes to the other side again back to the crowds because inside of our hearts there's got to be a willingness and an openness to the crowds and the one there's got to be a willingness and openness to those who are like us and those who are totally not like us there's got to be a willingness to sacrifice and go on journeys why so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth to every tribe and every nation and every tongue gospel wasn't made for suburban living the gospel wasn't created to keep suburbs safe the gospel wasn't given to keep people in safe, suburban, sanitized realities. It was called to put danger inside of us, to get on boats in storms and navigate the storms and learn to trust Him so that we get to the other side. There is an undesirable. There is someone every prejudice inside of our hearts rants up about and says, No! God says, I want to reveal my glory. I want to show you. I want to put something deep down inside of you. I want to put a love for the undesirable. Because on the other side of your fears, on the other side of your prejudices, on the other side of your smallnesses, on the other side of your pains. And there are real pains. Our nation is full of pains. Let's not hide behind the reality that they're not. There's pains. There's pain in this room about what's going on in our nation. Bring your pain to the only one who can heal them. And find courage at his feet. And find courage to live a life of courage and faith. A life where we can overcome what's been handed down to us. I want to be very real with you. I've watched my father navigate this. As my sister has had babies and doing life, an amazing life with a of man. And I've watched my father who grew up on a farm. very That's not even farm. it's not a word, eh? <laughs> I'm not an African. He was. And... And I've watched my father navigate this. And I've watched the gospel grip his heart. And I've watched him slip up and have to apologize, making stupid statements that he didn't mean, but they just what he's learned. But the gospel's got to get inside of what we've learned. Because then I watch him pick up his little grandchildren and kiss them and hug them and love them, all caramel and beautiful. I'm going, God, you have done so much. Could you let the miracle of the local church be the light of this world again? um, Ephesians 4 speaks. says, as a prisoner for the Lord. This is Paul. He's an apostle. He's a main man of the gospel. He says, as just a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There are a whole bunch of challenging statements just in that one verse that challenge my socks off. And then he says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This thing is effort. What Jesus has done for me, that's not effort. It's nothing I've done. Salvation is a free gift given by an amazing king. But he says, make every effort. Hebrews challenges his believers. Spur one another on to life and good works. Spur one another. You know what a spur, in? spur is? It's a, that thing in the back of a cowboy's boot when he kicks his horse. He says, come on, let's go fast. Let's catch these dudes. So brothers, we've got to spur one another on to life and godliness. We've got to spur one another on to see the miracles of heaven come every effort. And you know what? We've got to make every effort. Oh, I was born into this culture. Yes, but you were reborn into a heavenly culture. You were pulled into a godly story. Your title and your name was, but you have been pulled into God's story. He says, you are a son of the living God who doesn't see color. He doesn't see class, He sees the heart. Samuel standing there and God's given him a commission. He said, find me a king on this earth. I need a king. The people want a king. I'm going to give them a king. And Samuel standing there. He's looking and he says, As he's big, he's strong, he's got courage. God speaks to him and says, no. Don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at that book and judge it by its cover. I need a worship, and holy worship starts in here. I need a humble king and humility starts in here. I need a lover of my presence, and that starts in here. See beyond the out, the big shoulders and the good looks. See beyond the out. See inside. And then he releases an army of kingdom people, sons and daughters, who are going to see beyond the outside. And sometimes it's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. God wants to get inside of us. Why? Because for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. He didn't break it down brick by brick so they could be put back together. He destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh, the law, which commands and his regulation. I want to tell you The cross and every action and every whip and every chain and every bit of flesh that was ripped of our Savior was for this thing. That we could be a people who our diversity makes us stronger. That we could be a people who are colorblind. That we could be a people who could trust for something that even though our world and our nation has messed it up so many times so badly, we could fight for a different story. We could be the miracle that we sing of in worship. We can't sing, I believe in you, I believe in you, just so we're banking for one day when our kids get sick and all of a sudden we believe in a God of miracles. I've got to believe in a God of miracles who breaks down my prejudice and I call that a miracle. I worked with a prejudice for years. My parents lost everything when I was 19. I grew up a privileged kid and then all of a sudden it was gone like this and I realized all my mates were supremely privileged when I had nothing. I only didn't realize it before. And you know what happens? A little prejudice. Ah, rich kids. Don't like rich kids. They seem to get it easy. Someone pays for their studies. Someone sends them on a holiday. Someone pays for their food. Here, I'm disconnecting electricity, trying to make five bucks. True story. And a prejudice gets in my heart. And I go to minister. As a minister in Zimbabwe, and a man speaks on repentance, and God shows me, you have a prejudice in your heart I need you to deal with. Otherwise, you'll never minister to that group of people. And God. Why? Because there is a mandate and a commission to take the gospel to all nations, all tribes, all people. And unless the all of the kingdom of heaven is in my heart, I'll never see them. I'll never even do the sums of what I'm missing out on. Why? Because the blinkers are on. The roadblocks are there. And the smallness of earth is gripping me. Why would God make the donkey, the ostrich, the camel? Because he loves diversity. Why would he make people who eat all sorts of exotic foods like lettuce, and then the church is full of lettuce-eating vegans and, and, and gluten-freeze and gluten-maximizers. And I don't know what other options there are. Everyone's eating everything. And God said, I'm going to put them together. Why? So they can have a feast together. And when we come together, you can eat the lettuce and I'll eat the chicken. Because that is lettuce. And, um, but God's got to get inside of our smallness. The gospel says, I love the Jesus I see inside of you. Which means we believe the best. Which means we're back. Jesus says in John 13, he says, a new command I give you. A new command. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. He didn't say, by your Facebook post. They will know. He didn't say, by your bumper sticker. They will know. He said, by your love for one another. Not your click within, not your comfort zone, not what makes you feel safe, not what makes you feel comfortable. Your love for one another. The miracle of heaven on earth will break and the bigness of the gospel will not be limited by our smallness. I want to ask you this morning as we close, will you go to the other side? You can't just talk about the other side. You can't just have an idea that I'm willing to maybe go to the other side. Will you go? I had a family member recently from America. And I said to him, you've got to go to, to Site 5, to the ministry in Dunoon and Site 5. You've got to go to Recycle Swapshaw. I want you to go. And every morning he had to wake up a little bit earlier to go. And he was like, "Ah, oh, oh, I missed it today. Till the third time he missed it because he woke up late. I said, what's going on? He says, I don't know if I can go. I said, why? He says, because I don't know if I can handle what I'm going to see. I said, you might not be able to. That's what's going to throw you before your knees of your king. And your white, suburban, safe, middle-class American reality will get shattered and smashed so that your heart gets broken, so the gospel becomes more important and bigger, and God changes every perspective of your life. And maybe it'll change the direction and, and, and trajectory of your life. But that's okay, because there's a king who's in control. You can't fix every problem socially, economically, demographically, overnight. We know that. But you can fix this problem. Will you go to the other side of your pain? Oh, someone hurt this person and I've got pain. now. will you go to the other side of your pain? Will you go to the other side of your prejudice? Will you go to the other side of economics? Will you go to the other side of politics? Will you go to the other side? Why? So that one person can get set free, so that a whole region can hear by that person's story of the glory of the king of kings. It's not about you, it's about him. And prejudice looks multiple ways. It's not just the rich on the poor. It's the poor on the rich. It's not just white on black and white on black on white. It's everything. And the enemy is a master at disguising it and giving us every self-justification while we're entitled to it. And you are not entitled to anything other than the glory and the praise of Jesus. And neither am I. I love the church. I love Jesus. Love His Word. It's got to get inside of us. There's got to be a breaking. Oh, what can what can happen? What can come? One of His own disciples said, "What good can come from Nazareth?" Nazareth. Well, oh, Jesus. Jesus. What happens when a group in table and Milton give their heart to Jesus? Well, let's wait and see, because the world will watch. There will be an awe of a miracle called the local church can we close our eyes please this morning just wondering if you've encountered prejudice for any form or shape I'm going to tell you Jesus brings freedom he brings life Jesus is the lover of the oppressed and the oppressor. And he wants to put that bigness of love in our hearts as well. Even today, maybe you're fighting me saying, Mark, you're young. You haven't seen what I've seen. I probably haven't, sir. But Jesus came and died for his enemies. I want to tell you, the church is not made up of natural friends. The church is made up of natural enemies. And God says, I'm going to pour my spirit upon them and they will become brothers and sisters and family. If God's dealing with your heart today, why don't you place your hand on your heart this morning? Spirit of God, you are here. This is your truth. It's not my clever idea. I pray deal with us this morning. Bring clarity where there is fog. Bring light where there is darkness. Bring freedom where there is chaos. Bring healing where there is hurt. And bring the bigness of heaven where the smallest of earth has tried to creep in so that you would get all the glory, King. You would get all the honor that from this place you could release an army, an army of men and women prepared to get in little boats to go to the other side with you, Jesus. For the one. Not even the crowds. For the one. The most undesirable. The one who can do nothing for us. Would we be those people again? The disciples didn't get it at the time. We get to read it and we see you, Jesus. Spirit of God, Lead us, guide us, call us to repentance even this morning, I pray. I repent of smallnesses in my heart, God. I repent of subtle, self-justifiable little smallnesses that creep in, that actually are prejudices. And I pray, God, break them down for your glory. And do it with each of us, I pray. We want to see miracles, God start with us.